Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God for our meditation this morning, a portion of today's second reading, Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll hear again these words. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. There was a time in my life where I wasn't sure if I was going to become a pastor or an optometrist. And I know you smart Alex out there are asking, so whatever happened? Well, I became a pastor. But I, I never really lost my fascination with optometry. It's an interesting profession, has a really interesting history. Did you know that it was the Chinese back in about the 10th century who began putting magnifying lenses into frames to be worn on the face to help with vision? In 1760, Benjamin Franklin invented the bifocal lens, so I have him to thank for these, and I know many of you want to thank him as well. Then came much, much later the invention of the hard contact lens and the soft contact lens. And these days, it seems like the technology that is able, enabling optometrists and ophthalmologists to correct vision just keep changing all the time. You can go in and have all kinds of procedures simply to correct your vision. It's amazing mankind's ingenuity in correcting poor vision. Correcting spiritual vision isn't as easy. In fact, for us, it is impossible. Only God can do that. You see, people are born into this world not spiritually nearsighted or spiritually farsighted. They are born into the world spiritually blind, unable to see God, unable to trust in His promises, unable to find their own way to heaven. So what does God do? In his grace, he gives us the cure. He cures our spiritual blindness with the gift of faith. Through word and sacrament, the Spirit works to give us that precious gift. And my friends, this morning, I want, you to encourage, I want to encourage you to use that gift of faith, to use your faith eyes. Use them to be certain of what you can't always see with your physical eyes today. And use them to gaze into your glorious eternal future. The Christian people to whom our text was first written were suffering. The emperor had basically outlawed Christianity as a religion, and so people were being persecuted for their faith. Judaism, on the other hand, was not outlawed, and so many Jews just went about their business. They went to temple. They followed the dietary restrictions and all the other customs that they had. And for the most part, nobody really bothered them. And so these Hebrew Christians, these Jews who had converted to Christianity, were beginning to look on the other side of the fence and seeing grass that they thought was a lot greener. They were looking for a way out of their hardship and their trouble. Many of them were tempted to go back to the old way under Judaism. One of the main reasons that the letter to the Hebrews was written was to discourage them from jumping ship. And so throughout this book, the author stresses the superiority of Christ. Only Jesus saves. Now, we don't suffer in the same way that those people did, do we? I mean, nobody was afraid to come to church today for fear that we would be persecuted for gathering here. We didn't come to a secret location. We've got a, a beautiful, prominent building with well-lit signage. We actually advertise our presence here. We invite people to join us. We go out there and we look for people to invite uh, to come and worship our Savior with us. None of you are worried right now that the officials are going to bust in here and begin taking people off to jail. So we don't have that same kind of suffering. 
And yet, my friends, there are things to be afraid of, and there are ways that we do suffer. And the devil, just as he always has, uses those sufferings to get us to doubt God's promises, and he hopes even to abandon our faith completely. Doubt is just one of his biggest tools, his greatest weapons. Did God really say is the same cliche that he has been repeating for thousands of years. He first used it on Adam and Eve, and now he uses it on you and me. Did God really say, I love you? I mean, look at all the trouble in your life. You lost your job, you went through an awful divorce. Doesn't sound much like love to me. Did God really say, I forgive you? Does he really forgive you? Then why is it that so often you don't feel forgiven? Why is there this this burden of guilt that constantly haunts your heart? Did God really say that he was going to take care of you? Fine job he's doing. You're sick, you're broke, you're depressed, you're in pain, your life is full of stress, it's out of control. Some God you have. And do you know what's even more pathetic than those thoughts that come from the devil's slippery tongue? Is the fact that sometimes you and I kind of nod along and go, yeah, yeah, that that really sort of makes sense. How come all these bad things are happening to me? You see, we human beings like to have proof. We like to see things with our eyes and experience them with our senses. And sometimes what we experience, what we feel, what we're going through in life doesn't seem to square with God's promises. And it's then that we begin to doubt his faithfulness and his loving care. It's amazing. Satan is so good at this. He, he just plants a little seed of doubt and then you and I become these amazing gardeners and we water and we fertilize and we nurture that little seed of doubt in our hearts until it grows into this giant tree with gnarled roots that threatens to choke the life out of our faith. Can we call this doubt what it really is, my friends? It's sin. It's like saying to the God of all truth, you're a liar. And of course, he's not a liar. It's sin. And like all sin, it earns for us an eternity of God's anger and punishment. We need to repent. But my friends, I want to remind you today of the promise that God gives even to doubtful sinners like you and me. He says, I love you and I forgive you and I always will. Maybe you've seen a bumper sticker somewhere that says, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's kind of what the writer of our text was getting at with these famous words. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith means, in other words, taking God at his word in spite of the evidence. Just like Abraham did. Listen. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham simply trusted the Lord. He had never set foot in Canaan. He'd never seen that land. Yet God told him that it would be his. God told him to go there, so Abraham believed him. Abraham packed everything up. He left behind everything that was familiar to him, even members of his own family. He literally pulled up stakes and went where God told him to go. Even though he had never laid these eyes on the promised land, he trusted the God who made that promise. Now, you know something? We can't always see God's promises either with our physical eyes, right? 
mean, we can't prove God's promises with logic and reason. We can't take them into a laboratory and ex- experiment with them and prove them empirically. Yet we believe them. Why? Well, because of the one making those promises. Because the Lord is always faithful. Because he always keeps his promises. And just think of the wondrous promises he makes to us. He promises, I love you with an everlasting love. And we believe him, not because everything is going perfectly in our lives, but because God is love and he keeps his promises. He promises, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And we believe him, not because we always feel forgiven, but because we know that our Lord Jesus Christ took our place and hung there on that cross. God promises, I care for you, I will deliver you. And we believe him. Again, not because everything always goes our way, but because our God is faithful. No, we can't always see the evidence of God's keeping his promises. In fact, sometimes it seems the evidence says exactly the opposite. But we believe him in spite of that evidence. That's what faith is, right? Faith is being certain of what you do not see. So how do we get such a faith? Well, Scripture makes plain throughout that faith is always the gift of God. The Holy Spirit first gave you this gift when the pastor poured the water on your head and said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And ever since then, he has been strengthening and sustaining your faith in his grace with the food of his word and the meal of his Son's body and blood. It is that Spirit's gift of faith that enables you to say, I don't see it, but I believe it. And think of all the times for which that applies. I mean, none of you were present to witness Jesus' birth with your physical eyes. And yet you believe that true God was born of woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, including you. None of you walked the dusty roads of Judea and Galilee with your Savior. You didn't witness his interaction with the people. You didn't hear his teachings with your own ears. You didn't get to see him carry out that perfectly sin-free life. And yet you believe what the Scripture says, that he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And you also trust that that perfect life counts for you. None of you were there watching at Golgotha when he was crucified, and you didn't go out with those women to the tomb on that first Easter morning with spices for burial. And yet, by faith, you trust what the Scriptures say, that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. My friends, what a precious gift is faith. God has given you those eyes. Use them. Use them to see and to trust in those wonderful promises he's given you for today. And use them to gaze into your glorious eternal future. Abraham was certainly looking forward to the future. God made this 99-year-old childless man a remarkable promise. He said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. Now, there was literally no human reason that Abraham should have believed that promise. He and his wife Sarah were old. They were way past childbearing years. There was no human reason to believe that promise. But Abraham did believe it. He trusted in what God told him. 
He believed that he would have many descendants. He believed that one of those descendants was going to be the world savior and be a blessing to all people. He never got to cast his physical eyes on Jesus, never got to see him, but he knew that savior. And he knew the result of his saving work, forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Abraham, this wanderer who lived in tents among a foreign people he didn't know, he looked forward to something more permanent, the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He looked forward to that permanent existence with God in heaven. My friends, can you see with your faith eyes that heavenly city? There's so many things in this life that try to blur our vision. Suffering can do that. Sometimes we're suffering so much that it's like blinders and we can't see through the pain to see the perfect peace that God has in store for us in heaven. We need to always remember the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, Our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Pleasure can also blur our vision at times. You know, we get so wrapped up in having heaven here on this earth, in, in enjoying the American dream. We get so wrapped up in the trinkets and baubles of this world that we lose our focus on heavenly things. Worry does exactly the same thing. Worry gets us focused on what we're going to eat and drink and wear and drive and all those kinds of things. And it robs us of that peace that faith brings as we look forward to heaven. My friends, with the Spirit's help and strength, get rid of all these things that blur your vision and look forward to the eternal joy that God has for you. Abraham, by faith, looked forward to the heaven that was his. You can look forward to that same, with that same faith, to that heavenly city. What a beautiful place it will be. Your Savior is there who loves you and bled and died for your salvation. And you're going to get to spend all eternity with him. You ever gotten one of those little cards in the mail from your optometrist that says, it's time, it's been a year since your last appointment, it's time to get your eyes checked. Now let me ask you, how many of you, when you get that card, immediately, that same day, go to the phone and make an appointment? I'm guessing not many of you. I just went to the optometrist a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it had been over two years since my last appointment. It's amazing, we, we get so busy that we even neglect something as important as our health, the health of our eyes, our vision. My friends, may we never, ever neglect the health of our faith. God has given us his word and his sacraments to feed our faith so that we always see his promises with clear vision, so that we always trust them, and so that we respond by serving him with vigorous, thankful obedience. So friends, take care of your faith eyes. Use them to see the wondrous promise that God gives you now. Use them to gaze into your glorious eternal future. God grant this to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.